If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We are in the second week of a series entitled Reset. Um, kind of in, a, in, I would say, in preparation for um, what God wants to do in us and through us. I'm not saying it's anything spectacular, but it may very well be. And, and sometimes we just get things going in our minds and we get busy doing things and we just need to stop and reset. And so last week we were in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7 uh, and we looked at um, uh, four words in this reset. Now I would encourage you on the back of your bulletin is a blank sheet of paper. There's a little tearaway thing. There, there's gonna be a whole lot of rewords that we're gonna have in this reset series. But last week, uh, we talked about this idea if the key word was return, that we would return to the Lord. And so uh, the people had kind of gotten away from God. In fact, we'd learned that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken from them, but now they had just gotten it back and they were kind of re-energized and reinvigorated. And they said, look, we want to return to the Lord. So Samuel tells them that they've got, in order to return, they need to remove the idols from their midst to repent of their sins and, to, uh, and that God would rescue them. Well, the more and more this week, I'd, I'd kind of intended on going a different direction today than what really panned out. Uh, but that word rescue got stuck in my crawl. You ever have that word happen or a song or something get stuck in your head and you just can't get past it? So as I began to unpack it, I got, I got to thinking about this idea of, of re- rescue, uh, and, and, and a lot of times what we talk is, is we talk about what we are rescued out of. Even some of the songs we sing talk about what we're rescued out of, our, out of sin and destruction. We're rescued out of darkness. We're rescued out of things. But it never occurred to me that I don't know that we've ever looked at as a church what we are rescued to. And so we're going to go all the way back to the people in, in, in Exodus, when God calls them and rescues them out of slavery, but he doesn't just call them out of slavery, he rescues them to some things. And so not just rescue from, but rescue to. And so we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 19 this morning. Uh, and before we dive in, let's pray and uh, just ask God to, to speak to us this morning. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. God, I thank you for the songs that we have sung. I thank you for the truths that are, that are in them. Father, I thank you for the way that it, it draws us to you, Lord. And, and Father, I thank you for those that have been leading us in song this morning, for their hearts, for their desire. Lord, I thank you for your word today. Father, I thank you that it is, it is uh, timeless, that it is, uh, it is alive and it is powerful. God, I pray that as we open it up this morning, that God, you would speak to our hearts, that you'd minister to our spirits. Lord, that there are things that we need to hear this morning that, that may pertain specifically to us. God, there may be things this morning that pertain to us and that we can share with other people. So God, we pray that as we, we read your word, Father, in Exodus chapter 19, as we study it and we understand what it means to us and how it applies to us, God, that there is a beautiful hope and beautiful truth in your word that God, that we have a world that needs to hear it. So as we prayed earlier, that we would be lights and that we would be uh, sources of strength in this time that we are facing as a world, as a nation, God, that we would take these truths that we're gonna learn this morning and be able to apply them to our lives and share them with other people to let them know that there's a God who loves them. I thank you, Lord, that you are a 
personal God who thinks and, and feels and acts and who speaks to your people. And God, I trust that you're going to speak to us this morning through your word, Father. And we just ask and pray that you be with us today. For it's in Christ's name we ask it all. Amen. So, God rescues us from things, and we know what those things are, uh, from sin and death and destruction. But I want to introduce you to, to three, three things that God rescues us to, that he doesn't just rescue us out of things, but he rescues us to some things. And the first one I want to draw your attention to is a new relationship, that God saves us, that he rescues us to a new relationship. Let me set the stage a little bit. We were in Exodus chapter 18 a couple of weeks ago, and we looked at how when, when Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes and visits him and imparts some wisdom on him regarding some new seasons. Well, chapter 19 is the beginning of this new season that, that the Israelites are getting ready to encounter. Matter of fact, a lot of Bible scholars believe that Exodus' chapters 19, 20, and I think 21 are some of the most important passages that we have in the Old Testament merely because of what they communicate to us. We have to understand that it is in Exodus chapter 19 that God uh, begins a work, a, a covenant work with his people, that he is inviting them into something radically different than anything that they've ever been a part of. They have always been God's people, but God is now making them his covenant people. And he is inviting them into this covenant and he's beginning to explain and unpack to them what this covenant is gonna look like. And the first thing we find is in the first uh, four verses of, of chapter 19. He says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from uh, Rephidim and, and, and came into the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And so the Lord called to him uh, out of the, uh, uh, sorry, I lost my swap. So the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. We need to understand that when God rescues us out of our sin, out of the darkness, and he welcomes us into his marvelous light, he is rescuing us to a new relationship. It's not the one that we had with him in the past. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter two. I think Ephesians chapter two gives us this beautiful imagery of what takes place in our hearts. And it begins in, this, in chapter two, verse one, when he says, you were dead, you were dead. Now he says specifically, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were enemies of God. But he says in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That you've been saved to a new relationship, that you've been saved to a new way of life. You were these things, but now by God's grace, you are now these things. Look what he says later on in the chapter, uh, in, in verse uh, 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he may create in himself one new man in place of the two, so the making peace. He says he came. He says that you go on and you, and you read um, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, who are, you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we were this, but now we're this, that he invites us into this new relationship. I think it's interesting that he, he makes, that, that Moses in, in Exodus 19 says, you yourselves saw what I did to the Egyptians. You yourself saw what I did to your enemies. He said, I bore you up like, like on the wings of eagles. Now there was an interesting fact that I learned this week that I did not know before this week. Did you know that eagles are the only bird in the, in the, in the aviary kingdom that treat their young differently than all the other birds? When other birds have to move their young from, it, from one nest to another, you know how they do it? They grab them with their talons and they, or whatever they've got and they carry them to the next place. Eagles are different. You know where eagles carry their young? On their, on, the, on their shoulders and across their, the, the, the back of their the wings. Why? Because think about this. Here's the eagle. Here's the young. Where's attacks gonna come when you're flying through the sky? From below. And so it protects the young. They protect the young with their own bodies. God says to us, I have bored you up on, on, on wing, like, like the wings on an eagle. I have carried you like an eagle that you have seen carry its young. I'm doing that for you. And, he, and here's the most important thing. And I have brought you, he says in verse four, I have brought you to myself. I bring you, I pursue you, I draw you. You are, not a, you are not my children because you chose to be. You are my children because I brought you to myself. And God does the same thing with us. That we are not here by accident. That we didn't encounter the people that we did that brought us on this journey to Christ. That you are not here by accident this morning. God draws us to himself. He brings us to himself. And he invites us into this new relationship. But that's not all he rescues us to. He also rescues us to a new identity. Let's keep reading in verse uh, five. He says, um, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, what's it mean to have a new identity? What, what's he saying here that makes us think that? Well, one, we need to understand this. And there's some of you need to hear me this morning. What is the first thing that he tells the people in here? That you are my treasured possession. That you are, they have done nothing to earn that title. But he says, I want you to understand the whole earth is mine and you are my treasured possession. Now, is that not incredible to stop and think that the creator of the universe 
thinks of you as his treasured possession. And this rang true with Moses because later on in Deuteronomy, when he sings this song of praise, he repeats these exact words that we are your treasured possession. Now that's amazing to me to stop and think that we are God's treasured possession. Now, some of you this morning really need to hear that because some of you look at yourselves in the mirror and you think, I'm not treasured to anybody. You are treasured to God. You are exactly the way that he made you. You are beautiful or handsome in every way. That you are capable of doing anything that God has called you to do. Why? Because you are a treasured possession. But more than that, you, the Bible tells us, are a kingdom of priests that we as his church are a kingdom of priests. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you read about the, the high priest, in this case, it was, I think it was Aaron, and if you read about him, what you discover is that the robe that Aaron wore was the, made out of the same material that the veil that separated the holy from holies from the rest of the tabernacle was made out of. Now, if you don't understand the significance of that, I'd encourage you to go back and read some of the, 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 the laws regarding the tabernacle. But there was an area of the, of the tabernacle that was, that was in, the, in the temple that was the, what we call the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could walk into that place and, and live. In fact, it was, it, they, would tie a, they would tie a rope around the high priest's waist and they would tie bells to it and those bells quit jingling. They would pull the high priest out because nobody else could go in there, only the high priest. Why? Because of this high, and, and why the, 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 the relationship between the, the veil and the clothing that he wore? Because he, he represented God to the people. That as the high priest, he, rep, he wasn't like God, he represented God to the people. But he also represented the people to God. He would go in every year and he would make the sacrifice for all the people. And so there's this imagery going on here that he represents God to the people. He represents the people to God. If we are a kingdom of priests, here's what we represent to the people. We represent the opportunity for, for that, that, or the, the desire for God to have relationship with his people that we represent that, that we have a, a personal God who thinks, acts, feels, and speaks and desires to have a relationship with all people. You and I are representatives of God to the people. We, are also, we also represent the people to God. We are a kingdom of priests. Peter talks about that in, in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter, I'm gonna have to double check here. In 1 Peter, um, I think it's chapter two. Chapter two, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. It's that same imagery that we are a kingdom of priests, that you are a, a, a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a people of God's possession called out to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you, or to borrow from what Moses said, who has brought you to himself. We are a people that God has brought to himself. And so we're a treasured possession. We are a kingdom of priests, but we're also a holy nation as God's people. 
Now we look around, that may fly in stark contrast to the world that we see around us. There is not anything to say that the nation as a whole of America is a holy nation. But the church ought to be. And it's not a source of pride. It is humbly obeying the words of the one that we profess to serve. What we believe matters. And how we live reflects what we truly believe. And we've talked about that a lot over the years. But we as Christians are a holy nation. We strive to live holy lives. We put off the old as we look at the New Testament wording that we take up. We put off that old self and we put on new. We replace the sin that we once had and we put on Christ. And we strive to live a holy life because we are a holy nation. But not only do we have a new relationship and a new identity, but God also rescues us to a new lifestyle. A new lifestyle. Well, is it working? I don't know. Yeah, a new lifestyle. This is where I want to spend uh, a little bit more time this morning, and I'm going to go through this because I know time is short. But a new lifestyle. Look what, look what he says beginning in verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken. Listen to what they say. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming up to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and you may also, and may also believe you forever. So let's talk about what this new lifestyle means. It's a lifestyle of God's voice. That when God rescues us to a new lifestyle, he rescues us to a new lifestyle of God's voice. They said, all the things that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then God says, I want the people to hear from me. As we've studied the catechisms, the Free Will Baptist catechisms, the things that we, we believe, some of the things we believe, the questions and answers, the first one is, who is God? God is a spirit who is a personal being, and God thinks, acts, feels, and speaks. That we serve a God who speaks. He speaks to us. And so it's a lifestyle of listening for that voice, of learning what that voice sounds like, and being able to pick that voice out of the many that we hear. And that takes practice. It takes listening. And oftentimes we don't take the time to stop and learn what that sounds like. It's not like in our families where I remember growing up as a kid, my dad's voice or my dad's whistle sounded different than all the other dads in the neighborhood. And so I knew the sound of my dad's voice. I know the sound of my children's cries. You know, you can have a nursery full of kids crying and one parent will stand up. Why? Because they know what the sound of their child sounds like. They know what to listen for. And we need to develop that with our Lord. But how did I know the sound of my dad's voice? Because I listened to it. And how do we learn the voice of our father, God our father? We listen. We learn to listen. We spend time in his word and we understand what, that, what the things he may be calling us to do. But it is a lifestyle of God's voice that we listen to it. But that's not it. If you keep reading here, we, we, uh, 9, 9b so he says, I want, I, want them to, I want to speak with you. And he says, he says, when Moses, in verse 9b, says, when Moses told the, words, uh, told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. And so not only does he call us to a, a new lifestyle of God's voice, but to a new lifestyle of consecration. 
And what does consecration mean? It means preparation for something that God wants them to do. He says, listen, I want them to consecrate themselves today and tomorrow. I want them to wash their garments. There's a, there's a, a symbolism there that they need to be clean and pure before the Lord because he's getting ready to do something in them. And so we, we that God calls us, he rescues us out of what we were in and he rescues us into a life of consecration, of preparing ourselves for what God desires to do in us and through us. That we prepare ourselves for that. You've heard the old saying that, you know, op, you know that, that, that uh, opportunity is the intersection or, or, or life or something that is the opportunity, is the, the, the intersection of opportunity and luck. You have an opportunity to luck into it. No, it's not. It's preparation that we prepare ourselves. If we aren't prepared for God to use us, then God can't use us. We have to be prepared. We can't know nothing about the scripture and say, hey, God, use me to tell people about Jesus. We need to know about Jesus. We need to know about God. We need to give people sound, godly wisdom. Where does it come from? It comes from his word. And so we prepare ourselves we allow God to prepare us. We make every effort to be here on Sunday mornings and to be here on Wednesday nights and to, and to study God's word at home in private, to pray and to learn what his voice sounds like. We do those things. And, they, and listen, I'm not gonna lie, man. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline. Disciplines are not easy. But many of us operate under, under them. If we've gotta be at work at 4 a.m., boy, we're up and we're disciplined and we're at work at 4 a.m., but listen, these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines that God calls us to are more important than anything else we do. It is the very sustenance that our souls need to continue living for Christ. We need these things. And so he calls us to a life of, a lifestyle of consecration. The third thing, as we, as we read here, is a lifestyle of boundaries. Look what, he, look what he says as we continue reading here. He says in verse 12, he says, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain to touch the, or, or, or to, to go, up on, go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall, uh, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain so Moses went down to the mountain to tell the people and consecrate them, and they washed their garments. So he says, listen, there's, we, that it is a lifestyle of boundaries. Now, God had set them free, right? He had delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, from the slavery of the Egyptians, and he had, he had saved them out of that, but they needed to understand that God didn't save them out of a freedom to destroy themselves. So he's setting for them boundaries. And he does the same thing for us. He says, listen, I saved you out of sin, not so that you could go back and ruin your life in sin. So he says, I'm saving you out of this and I'm gonna put some boundaries on here. There are things that I want you to do for your life, for your betterment, for your soul. Like these are holy boundaries that I'm establishing so that you can know what life really needs to be. Not so that you can turn around and be saved out of one sin, and walk right into another one because of our perceived freedom. Paul talks a lot about liberty. He says, listen, man, we got the free will to choose whatever we wanna do, but we shouldn't do that. Just because we can choose to do something doesn't make it right. 
And who is the arbiter of right and wrong? Who determines what right and wrong is? Well, in our culture today, it'd be me. It'd be you. It's whatever you think. Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Well, you might not, but the heart is above all things deceitful. And so we have to understand that our, even our own hearts, folks, do not lead us in the way that we should go. And people every day make, they, they make what they think are great decisions based on their hearts and their hearts are leading them astray. Church, we do the same things. We make decisions based on our knowledge and we need to be praying that God would give us his. But understand that he calls us to a, life, a lifestyle of boundaries. Here are things that you should do. Here are things that you should not do. And they are for your health and well-being. We do it as parents. I've got a line in the driveway. Son, you do not cross this line on your bicycle. You cannot stop before you get to the street. And the cars are not watching for you. You need to watch for yourself. We do that to our children. God does that to us. I don't do that to my son to kill his joy. I don't do it to stifle his enthusiasm. I do it because I love my son and I don't want anything bad to happen to him. And we need to understand if we who are evil can do good things for our kids, imagine the God who loves us and gave his life for us. How much he loves you and how much he's telling you this morning. I am setting boundaries for your health and your protection. Please follow them. But not only that, if you keep reading, we also see that it's a lifestyle of self-discipline. Look what he says. This is gonna be a good, I've been looking forward to this one. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now let's ponder that one for a second. What are they talking about? He's telling the dudes, listen, I want you to exercise self-discipline. Don't, don't share intimacy with your wife for the next period of time. Now, he's not saying it is all in all a bad thing. You gotta look at the, the wealth of scripture. All the scripture says that it is good for man to be with his wife, right? There's only one other place in scripture that talks about abstaining from that for a season. One other place that Paul tells us in Corinthians that you are to select a season and why? To propel yourself for the Lord, that there's something you're praying. It is a fast for you. And that's much like what he's talking about here, that there is something I want you to fast. Now listen, if you're married today, let's talk about, let's just be real. Intimacy is one of God's greatest gifts, amen? Whoa, there's one person. <laughs> Now, folks, we may need to have another sermon series right after this. Come on now. Like, it is a gift, and it's a beautiful thing. Let's not act like there's something dirty about it. Gee, God has given that to us, and he has given it to us for pleasure and good, right? Like, it's good. But he says, I want you guys as my people to understand something. There is something better than that, and they're going, what? What is better than that? And he says, I want you to experience me. I want you to know me. I want you to consecrate yourselves and set yourselves apart because I am better than anything I have given you on this earth. As good as some things are, right? Some things are really good. I, Jesus said, God says, I am better and I want you to set aside because you're gonna experience me, but I need you to be prepared. I want you to understand that when you experience me, it's gonna be better than anything. And folks, it is. 
When we surrender ourselves to the Lord and we get to experience him, man, there is nothing better. There's things that are maybe we may think are close, but listen, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than those opportunities when you sense that God is using you, when you are in your element and God's spirit is flowing through you and man, you are exercising your spiritual gifts and God is there and he is, and he is present and he's doing stuff. Man, it is good. That's better than good, man. It is great. I guess there aren't words to describe what that's like, but he says we need to exercise self-discipline. We see that all over, the fruits of the scripture, the fruits of the spirit, the last one, self-discipline. The prayer we prayed from Timothy that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That we exercise that, so he calls us to a life of self-control. He also calls us to a lifestyle of awe. This is, I love this one. Listen to the words here, follow along. Exodus chapter 19, you shut your phone off, turn it back on. Exodus chapter 19, you need to picture the imagery here. And all of us learn differently. Some of you hear the words read and you're not grasping them. Follow along with me. I'm talking about Luke. I can look Luke in the eye and be telling him something. He's like, what? And I'm like, let me write this down for you. And he's like, oh yeah, I get it now. Anyway, Sorry. We need a lighthearted moment, right? Amen. Amen. Yes, Maddie. All right. <laughs> Exodus, yeah. Luke was the only one that amened earlier on the self-discipline thing, so <laughs> y'all need to be prayed up. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. Listen to this. On the morning of the third day, so he asked them to consecrate themselves. He set some boundaries. He said, I want you to exercise self-discipline on the third day, this is what happened. The, the, on the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain with a very loud trumpet blast so that the people in the camp trembled like they were afraid. This thing is about to blow up. And he says, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in, in fire and the smoke... Uh, of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder and the Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain and the Lord called to Moses to the, called Moses to the top of the mountain and, Mount, and Moses went up. Now stop and think for just a minute. This mountain is about to explode. It is trembling, it is smoky, it is dark. There's this mysterious sound of trumpets blaring from out of nowhere. The people are scared out of their minds. God says, bring the people to me. And they come before the mountain. And then God turns to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to come up. And what does the Bible tell us Moses did? I ain't going up there. What's it say? Three simple words. And Moses went or Moses went up. What causes a person to do that whenever, whenever this mountain's about to explode? All this power and all these things that happen, what causes a person to approach that kind of power? When you understand that the one who holds that power loves you. When you understand that the one who possesses that power loves you 
you have nothing to be afraid of. We see this also in, in, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 10, where Jesus says, you know, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and soul. That for us as believers, this awe, this intimate awe, it is, is understanding that there are some things about God that, wet, that should, should almost fear us. He said, don't fear the one who can just t- kill the body, but feel the, fear the one who can kill the body and soul. But we also see in John, 1 John chapter four that it says perfect love drives out all fear. Now there's a healthy awe and a healthy fear and there's an unhealthy awe and an unhealthy fear. But in, in 1 John, I love, and I'm gonna read that because I, I can't remember exactly how he puts it, but there, there's, a, there's an addition to that verse that he says in 1 John chapter four, he says there's no love There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear, the unhealthy fear, has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. He said, I want you to understand, I am powerful, but I love you. It's why, it's why the writer of Hebrews could say that, that in, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, when he says, listen, we draw near the throne of God in confidence. Why? Because perfect love has driven out fear. We don't have to fear the God who makes the mountains tremble because we are his children. So we can approach his throne with confidence that we can cry out to him, that he will hear us and we can find mercy and find help in time of need. We can do that because we are his children. We don't have to be afraid of the one who kills body and soul because we, our souls have been saved. We don't have to, we we talked about Wednesday night. We studied on what happens when a person dies, what happens to the soul, what happens to the body. We don't have to worry about being separate. We don't have to worry about hell anymore. But if I will say this, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you don't have that relationship, you can't look back and say, I know on this point that I place my faith and trust in Christ and his finished work. I know I have a relationship with him. I know that my faith is placed in him. Then there are some things that you need to be afraid of. But here's the thing, he doesn't want you to stay afraid. In his love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, any, that, that none would perish, but, or, whoa, 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 whoa. that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Perfect love drives out fear. When we understand the one who possesses the power is also the one who loves your soul and died for it, it changes the game for us. It changes the game. And so he calls us to a lifestyle of awe. And then finally this morning, he calls us to a lifestyle of obedience. Look with me in, in Exodus chapter 19. We're gonna wrap up the chapter. Verse 21, Moses goes up and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and to look and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against him. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Last thing this morning, God calls us to a new lifestyle of obedience. A lifestyle of obedience. We're gonna unpack this a little bit more next week but he calls us to a lifestyle of obedience, of following him and what he wants us to do and what he desires to do. Not when it fits us, 
not when it, it, we can schedule it in, but that we follow him in a lifestyle of obedience. And folks, listen, there's gonna be things, I, here's what I struggle with. There are times you, you're following God and you're walking with him and maybe God diverts your path and you say, well, boy, I'm just worried what other people are gonna think. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna praise God that you're following the Lord. There are times when we think we may be following him and we realize that we're not and the best thing we can do is change gears. And so we need to understand that it's a life of obedience, but we can't obey the things that we don't know. And so all this is cyclical and that it all goes back to God's word, that we serve a personal God who thinks, feels, speaks, and acts. And he does all those things in our lives. And so for those of us that are Christians, we need to understand that this is the life, these are the lifestyles that God, this is what God has rescued us to, to a new relationship, a new identity, and a new lifestyle. But here's the thing, if you're here and you're not a Christian, like this is what God is calling you to as well, that the offer is available to you, that it's not just for God's people. We hold that God died for the sins of all mankind, that anybody, when it says that anybody can be saved, it literally means anybody and everybody. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If Jesus, if Jesus wishes that everyone would be saved, then he desires for all to be saved. If he made the way, then the call goes out. And here's the reality for us this morning. If you are not a Christian, you need to understand, God, just like we read in those first four verses, God is bringing you to himself. God is bringing you to himself. And I think some of you are wrestling with that. You're wrestling with, with what it looks like if I give my life to Christ. What am I going to have to give up? Listen, what you gain is infinitely better than what you are giving up. Amen. Satan wants you to think in terms of what you must give up. God wants you to understand what you gain. And what you gain is infinitely better and infinitely more valuable than what you're gonna have to quote unquote give up. But that's what Satan wants us to think. Well, I can't this and I can't that. Some things may need to change in life. I'm not going to tell you what you need to change. I'm going to let God do that. I'm telling you that God is inviting you into a relationship with him that is life-changing and, 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 and ground-shaking, and it is the most amazing thing you could ever do. And church, he's calling us to that relationship as well to not be floating on the periphery, to not be, to not be just taking samples uh, of what God has to offer, but to take a serving and, allow, and say, God, here is my life. I'm giving it over. I want a new relationship. I want that new identity. I want that new lifestyle. I wanna see what you can do through me. I wanna devote myself to you. Can you imagine for a moment what God could do with a church that was totally surrendered to him? what God could do with a life that was totally surrendered to him. It will blow our minds. And God's getting ready to blow theirs when they get into the promised land and all these great things happen. But folks, let me warn you, our hearts can be pretty fickle things. And we can experience the goodness of God one minute and rebel against him the next. It's time for a reset. It is time for us to reset the way we think about the things of God. It is time for us to return to him. It's time for us to be rescued in our entirety, to not be hanging on to the things of our past, but to understand that God has rescued us from our past and called us into something new.
Are you living in that lifestyle? Are you living in that relationship? Are you living in that identity? Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.